Well, this week on our NCBI Labs live event, we have something a bit different for you. Over the last few months, you might have noticed that we've had more and more guests on our live events, and we've been delighted to be able to interview a great variety of people who've been involved in developing all sorts of apps or different technologies to assist the site loss community. It's really been great to see how they've been able to help make the world around us that bit more accessible. Well, our guest today works with an organisation that you wouldn't necessarily associate straight away with accessibility technology, but in a way they've taken an interest in a different kind of accessibility. And actually it isn't just the world around us that they want to make more accessible, so to speak, but far beyond in fact. Since its foundation in 1958, NASA has been responsible for the Apollo missions, the Voyager spacecrafts and the various Mars rovers, as well as numerous other projects as well. So we're delighted that this week in our live event, we're going to be talking to NASA technician Craig Moore, and he's going to be telling us a little bit about his role at NASA, as well as how technology has helped him overcome the challenges associated with sight loss at an early age. So that's something I'm sure you'd agree is going to be very interesting. That's coming up in about 10 minutes time or so. Later on as well, we're going to hear some more quick tips as usual. Uh, quick tips that you'll be able to use on your Android or iOS phone to get the most out of its accessibility settings. This week we'll be fo focusing on the, the various reading controls and gestures uh, that you can use there on VoiceOver and TalkBack. We're also going to have our tech help section a little bit later that's going to focus on what to do if you have maybe two different screen readers getting in each other's way on your computer and uh, you're hearing both of those voices. What, what can you do if that's happening? Well, all of that is coming up a little bit later on. Of course, don't forget to, to uh, get your question in for uh, your questions in for Craig as well. You can do that uh, on the right hand side of your screen if you're connecting live through Microsoft Teams or you can drop us a line at labs at ncbi.ie. And just a reminder before we go any further, that if you want to catch up with any of our previous live events, you can do that on YouTube or on any of the major podcast platforms as well. Now, to start us off today, we have our regular Meet the Team section. And this week we'll be talking to one of the first pe people I met actually when I started working with NCBI some years ago. Maureen Lanigan, you're very welcome to the show this week. Jude, hello. It's lovely to be here and thank you for inviting me now to take part in today's live event. That's uh, great to have you on. That, that was the real back in the day moment <laughs> there when I was thinking of <laughs> how long we've known each other actually is, is going back a, a number of years. How, how long have you been with NCBI and, and where are you based more than okay. just for our listeners? Well, I started work with NCBI, uh, very similar to my colleague Brian, who you spoke with there the other week. I started in 2001 and I cannot believe that is just 20 years ago. The time has gone so, so quickly. I was appointed as the Southeast Regional IT Trainer and that's involved covering uh, IT work with service users in the counties of Carlow, Kilkenny, South Tipperary, Waterford and Wexford. 
And although my office is actually based in Wexford Town, I very much work out of the other NCBI offices in the Southeast region, and those offices are based in Carlow, Kilkenny and Waterford. Very good. And, and tell us, with your background then before NCBI, were you already involved in, in training or support or what, what was your background before NCBI? OK, well, I, yes and no. Yes, I, I was involved in, in a number of things um, before taking up duty with NCBI. I had worked for many years in the public sector and I also worked for a significant number of years in adult education. But my very first intro to technology was when I was 12. My parents bought my sister and myself a portable typewriter one Christmas and we just loved it. Now, I have to say my parents gave us a, a great start in life. Now, they were really kind of foreseeing or, or far-seeing, if you like, of, of skills that would stand to us. So we both anyway learned to type, but I mean, that would be the old way of saying it today. I, I suppose I'd say that we developed our keyboard skills. But anyway, typing was, and I, I just love typing from, from uh, day one. And that was when, really when my intro and my, my love technology kind of started. So when I started work, uh, the high tech equipment in the office that I was first based in was an ink duplicator and a manual typewriter. So, so you're talking about going back in the day, Jude. I'm going way <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> and then that subsequently, let, uh, the, the manual typewriter in due course broke down, uh, solid pounding on the, the keyboard with it. And I, I went to the dizzy heights. I got a, a golf ball typewriter. I don't know if many of your listeners have ever had the pleasure or, or enjoyment of working typewriter. on the golf ball typewriter. What's the, well, golf, ball typewriter? What's the golf ball typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of the, the manual typewriter having the kind of the, the keys that would uh, tap off the, the platen as you typed along, this literally had a circular device in it. It was ele yeah. electric electronic and it had all of the letters and all of the punctuation symbols and it was the shape of a golf ball. So <laughs> as you typed a, a letter or letters, the, this little uh, golf ball uh, was whirring around in size and my goodness, the rackets that it made. It was <laughs> so let me tell you, I, I was there now at, at the start, as they say. Um, so uh, so after starting work anyway, uh, my parents, they had always encouraged us to update skills and go on to further education. So I went on then to learn how to use a computer as they were starting to come in. And obviously that led to learning about computer applications. And I had to, I got to grips with word processing and spreadsheets and presentations and database and email and internet and all of those uh, wonderful things that were coming online. And I went on then and, and uh, gained my qualifications to teach all of those subjects. And uh, that then led me on to become very much involved in delivering um, the ECDL programmes, the European Computer Driving Licence programmes, and providing customised training courses, uh, computer courses, uh, which I was involved in for many years. And uh, I have to say, I've just been very lucky throughout my, my work in life. I've always, I've always loved the jobs that I've been in. I've always had great colleagues as I have now with NCBI and it's 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 always been great teamwork and and great working with with all the the jobs that I've had so that kind of brings my, yeah. my background up to up to speed and where I am now today yeah yeah 
Yeah, very good. So just kind of talking about your, your role with NCBI, obviously your background then had had those elements of education and technology in there. Um, what's your role been? Um, what's what's your regular role been, should we say, with, with NCBI since then? OK, well, regular kind of went out the window about this time 12 months yeah. ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> As, as it did for everybody and for all of our lives and we're looking forward as I, I do say now that when I hear this thing of vaccines being rolled out and that sort of thing to me it's very much like it's the cavalry coming over the hill I just think it's great we've got kind of the the end of that tunnel is in sight and we're coming to um, a part where we can get back to to being regular and, and doing what we're doing yeah. so so you asked me anyway what does my my work with NCBI involved well the first thing I'd say first and for, foremost is teamwork and as I've mentioned to you there, I have I work with wonderful colleagues. I mean, I'm based here in the southeast. All of my colleagues are superb team. I'm part of the IT trainers team. All of my colleagues there are just excellent in terms of support and camaraderie. Um, I can't thank everybody enough now for uh, everybody's only uh, a phone call away. If we have a question, a query, we need support. Um, but the work, I suppose, has so evolved over the past 20 years as to when I started back in 2001. And that's all because of the ongoing developments in technology. I mean, I remember when I, I first started with NCBI, I used a reading machine. And the reading mm. machine in those days was about two feet wide. <laughs> it was surely a foot high and about 12 inches long or 12 to 18 inches long. Yeah. It had significant weight. So you weren't easily going to bring it from the kitchen to the sitting room to the, yeah, the coffee yeah. table type thing. And the cost of it was in around £5,000 back Goodness 20 me. years ago. So, you know, you're talking significant uh, yeah. cost and size. And uh, but I mean, that was the, the height of technology at the time. And yeah. now I think of it, we have a device that fits in the palm of our hands. It could be a smartphone, it could be a tablet. And you have a little app, a small program on it, which chances yeah. are has come free of free of charge, free of cost. And that yeah. does as much and possibly a whole lot more than what our big massive read machine did back in, yes. back in the 30 years ago. So that's so that's uh, where I my intro to my work and where I see it's come from and where it, it is uh, developed. Um, when we talk about uh, the work that I actually do, I, I provide IT training and support to our NCBI service users. I do that on the one to one basis, on an individual basis, and I also do it on a group basis. And uh, the training and support covers a wide range of assistive hardware and software. Now, when I say assistive hardware, this can range from, say, using a computer or a laptop or an iPad or a tablet or a smartphone. And yeah. when we get to smartphones, they tend, as we know, tend to fall into two buckets or two brackets. You're, you have your iOS, which is your Apple, and you have your Android, which is Samsung and Huawei and Sony and all yeah. of those. And uh, then also the providing training and support in the programs that we use on all of that equipment be it apps or uh, Microsoft Word, or it could be the assistive software, such as our screen reading programs like JAWS and Narrator and NVDA, or our, uh, or our magnification programs like Windows Magnifier, Zoom Text, Supernova. Um, yeah. I'd also provide training and facilitate um, individual reviews of 
the equipment such as portable digital magnifiers, CCTVs, reading machines, and all of that work, all of that support and training and that it's all really the bottom line is all to be able to help the person who is who that I'm working with and who is reviewing uh, the items to help them to determine what is the best solution for their own individual needs. And mm. when it comes to, we'll say, the training, as I mentioned to you, I do one-to-one -one training, and that is uh, primarily either in NCBI centres, which will be the in the southeast, it's the Wexford and the Waterford and the Carlo and Kilkenny, or uh, pre-COVID, it could be, it would have been and could have been home-based. Yeah. But but the training, wherever the location is, the training is always customised to the individual need. It's it's what's generally termed person-centred planning, yeah. and it's really for the person to identify where they wish to go with the training, what they wish to get out of it, and I'm there to provide that connection to ensure that yeah. they get the, the most from it and that. When I mentioned there about uh, tablets and, and uh, smartphones, it can also be, I can, I'm also involved in assisting somebody maybe to perhaps modify the settings on their own individual devices. Yeah. Because yeah. be it tablets or smartphones, there's always going to be an ease of access section where somebody might like to tweak a font to a certain height or they might like um, it's the screen yeah, yeah. to be put into dark mode and, you know, customise it to each source. So as um, as Brendan Grace would have said, like uh, it's not a question of one size fits all. It's a yeah. question of uh, one size fits some, but we tailor it to suit each and each yeah, yeah. Uh, individual of that. Absolutely, and there's a lot involved in that. What way would you say that since COVID? Because you mentioned there a, a couple of times, obviously the the impact that, that COVID has had on it. What way has your role changed maybe over the last year? What what are you involved in now that maybe you wouldn't have been beforehand? Okay. Well, when you say about COVID haven't changed things, Jude, uh, the only way I could describe it is that not, not only has my role changed and all of our roles, but basically life as we know it has been turned upside down since this time last year with, with coronavirus and with COVID. I, I'm still delivering training. It's still on a one-to-one -one basis. It's still in group, but it's, mm. it is very much via uh, remote. Uh, remote connections and it's, it's certainly brought it home I think to all of us how critical and how essential it is to have a good broadband connection these days because anything re remote anything as soon as you preface anything with remote it has to be broadband based and remote anything or network whatever has to be good signal. So that's the, the one of the, the key things of the, the change in the last 12 months my colleague Colin, you interviewed Colin there, I think a couple of weeks back, and yeah. um, he had mentioned about NCBI as an organisation had rolled out or had been uh, just in the process of our digital transformation. And somebody had great foresight with that because that certainly enabled all of our, myself and my IT trainer colleagues to keep in place the training and the remote support that we were doing because we were very much um, able to work with our Windows 10 laptops, our uh, work mobile phones, TeamViewer software. So it's not quite the same as being with the person that you're working with or the person that you're training with. But in these times when social distancing is of paramount importance, it certainly is the next best thing to being yeah. physically present to somebody. 
because um, yeah. it's it's always it's always something that I'm aware of that um, learning is very much a personal experience. Learning and training is very much a personal experience and that's the participants will engage with the trainer equally as much as what the trainer will engage with the yeah. participant. Yeah. And there's a, a quote from Benjamin Franklin, which I always kind of think is, is so very, very true, even though it's going back so very, very far. Mm. And he said, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. But involve me and I learn. And I think that's where as IT trainers and our role in changing that we're, yeah. we involve our our participants and whoever that we work with and that's where the, the learning process. Yeah. So it's it's all challenging. It's all it's all challenging on both sides um, training and uh, learning and participating. But we're we're all, as I say, muddling through together and we're getting there and we uh, could will may well be seeing a time when we live back to working more so on the one to one uh, individual yeah. basis. Another aspect, uh, just before I finish on um, where I see other developments and how the role has changed, I see this. There's become a greater interest in the whole audiobook accessibility and that NCBI Overdrive has always provided audiobooks through to yeah. our participants. And of course, these are available now um, to download and to, or via a portable device, be it say um, an iPhone or a, a mobile phone, a smartphone. And also the county councils with their BorrowBox app has enabled audiobooks and audiobook websites to become much more accessible to people. And I've found there's been very much so in the last 12 months, a far greater interest in sites like that and uh, training and learning how to use them because we're in level yeah. five restrictions and will be for yes. the style is, is what we, we all enjoy. And they are relatively easy to access. Yeah, so yeah, I suppose yeah. I would encourage anybody who's maybe who is listening to this either live now today or who tunes into it on the podcast at a later time. I would encourage anyone that if you have any interest in individual training in whatever area, PC related, tablet related, app related, whatever, audio books, that sort of thing. And um, please do reach out and contact NCBI Labs and rest assured your, your query, your uh, inquiry, your interest will be followed up on. And Absolutely. there's, al there's yeah. always a trainer in, in all of the country, uh, in all the different yeah. regions that will be available to provide support and training for the individual. Brilliant. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today, Maureen, and, and great to add that that extra little bit of class in there, a Benjamin Franklin quote as well. I mean, that's that's just taking the biscuit for the for the interview. Thanks for joining us, Maureen. Great to catch up with you as well. Well, Jude, it has been a lovely chit chat and great to have caught up with you and thank you for having invited me and I'm really looking forward now to uh, hearing your next interview now with Craig. Uh, NASA, here we come. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that's it. That's our tagline from now on. NASA, here we come. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much, Maureen. Good to chat. My pleasure. To you. My pleasure. Bye bye, Jude. Take care. Very good. So uh, our thanks to Maureen Lanigan there on Meet the Team. Just a reminder before we move on that if you do want to ask a question throughout the show, you can send us uh, an email at labs at ncbi.ie or use the question panel on the right hand side of the screen if you're using Microsoft Teams. Now, 
As we said earlier, for the next part of the show, we're delighted to have with us NASA technician Craig Moore. You're very welcome, Craig. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I appreciate you joining us all, all the way from Washington, I believe, today, isn't it? Uh, no, actually, I'm uh, in northern Alabama. Uh, NASA has. Oh, well, okay, very good. We're, we're really traveling the world on our live events. <laughs> very good. It's not every week that we get to talk to someone from NASA, so we're really looking forward to this. So maybe, Craig, just to get us started, can, can you give us a bit of an idea of how you got involved with NASA and maybe how long you've been working with them? Yes, I was uh, extremely fortunate. I, uh, after I uh, got my doctorate degree, I, I had a temporary job as a, uh, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Tennessee in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, there was a fellow there who was a graduate student. His father worked uh, at this particular center where I'm located. And uh, it's really through speaking with him and through his assistance that I was able to get employed here. And I've been with NASA. For, it's hard to believe I've uh, been here 32 years. It doesn't seem possible. Yeah. Very good. And um, what was it that you, you studied? What was your area of expertise, did you say? Uh, my area was uh, chemistry. I did um, computer modeling of chemistry uh, using uh, programs uh, for quantum mechanics. And uh, I was very fortunate because those programs were developed um, in the 60s in Fortran. And uh, of course, it's before all this graphic user interface stuff was around. So yeah. running the programs and reading them was extremely accessible to me back in the days when when you're using DOS computers and, and Braille displays, and I wasn't using speech at all at that time. Yeah, yeah. So I was extremely yeah, fortunate. I, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine. And was that where you kind of went in straight away with NASA? What, what sort of roles have you had during your time there? Well, sorry. Uh, the first half of my career, I did work in, in chemistry. I, I did uh, computer modeling of um, specialized optical materials, and uh, they were um, and then later on when the agency, uh, that was during the days of, well, in the, I was hired in 89, so uh, during that time, a lot of emphasis was still on, on the shuttle and whatever uh, mm. science experimentation people could do as part of it. And then as it shifted toward, as NASA shifted towards um, developing new rockets and uh, you know, the idea of going to Mars, um, the agency, uh, well, at our center, they closed down this uh, particular science director that I was involved in. There's still some science being done at, at my center, but uh, the emphasis went more towards uh, developing technology. So then I moved to an engineering uh, department, and and this department people are um, writing software and monitoring uh, sensors on the rocket to make sure that there's that it's safe. And if there are some problems, sometimes you can get information from other centers. Sometimes there are actions you can take to mitigate uh, to, to solve the problem and uh, other times if it's severe enough then you of course have to terminate the mission. Uh, there'd be things like uh, temperatures and pressures in fuel tanks, um, if the spacecraft tumbles uh, in a way that it can't be recovered, uh, just a lot of different scenarios. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like um, the sort of work where I, I'm I'm not sure if, if you'd agree with this. Is this is it something where maybe the work working for NASA sort of sounds very imaginative, imaginative and uh, really interesting all the time? But I would imagine there's a lot of detailed work that really takes a lot of kind of concentration and just sticking with it day to day as well. Is it, would that be right? 
Oh, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, there are aspects of it that some people do that are extremely creative, but there is a grind, a level to detail, and um, yeah, you know, especially when you're considering safety concerns, it's just yeah, yeah. You know, people can never uh, pay too much attention to detail, and yeah. you know, the problem comes when people uh, get habituated to something. Well, this doesn't work quite right, and you know, lo and behold, it, 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 yeah. it was a serious problem. And, yeah, 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 absolutely. So can you tell us a bit more just about kind of how, how direct was your involvement with missions have been maybe in the lead up to launches or throughout the duration of a, a mission, for example? Uh, really not at all. There was, you know, with one exception, there was a, um, I guess there were one or two shuttle missions that carried aboard some of the materials um, mm. that I had done a background work on. And some of these materials, it's important to be able to grow very large, perfect uh, crystals. And of course, an uh, environment in space is, is ideal for that because when you're growing uh, these crystals on Earth, it's a, it's a very slow, gradual process. You have uh, heating, you know, uneven heating and cooling. So you have currents that are in the, in the fluid and, and it may be very slow currents, but they uh, limit the size of the crystals and and introduce air uh, defects in them and in space you can grow much larger ones and um, mm. uh, you know with fewer defects yeah yeah very interesting and um so that was kind of one that maybe you had more more direct involvement in would you be able to tell us about maybe some of the missions that your work might have been kind of tied into maybe maybe it wasn't so such a direct link but there that your work would have been kind of involved in well, these were shuttle missions um, that this applied to. But later on, the work I'm doing that I've done with the branch now is they're, they're writing software for the SLS uh, rocket that's being developed. Yeah. And uh, now I'm, I've kind of shifted my role a little bit. I'm monitoring, uh, like a technical monitor for a lot of small business grants where they're developing new technologies uh, for um, you know, future efforts. And a lot of this deals with uh, using artificial intelligence for um, uh, life support systems. For instance, in the space station, I believe it takes about 40 man hours per week to um, uh, run the life support systems. And with, uh, you know, more sophisticated software with the, uh, there's a, a Lunar Gateway, which is a um, small space station that's being developed that will uh, circle the moon. Um, probably sometime in the late 20s. Um, mm. And there they hope to get that 40 hour time down to four hours or less. And, you know, it will free people right. to, to do other types of work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. It's it's really interesting hearing about. It. Obviously, we don't we don't get much of a, an opportunity to be having these kind of conversations week to week, but it's uh, it's great to have somebody from NASA on the on the program, but obviously we're kind of talking about specifically a, a connection with site loss here as well. So would you be able to tell us maybe a little bit about your experience of site loss? Yes, um, I had extremely limited vision until I was seven. I was born three months prematurely in the, I'm not young, <laughs> I was born in the 1957 and uh, I was given too much oxygen in the incubator and that knowledge was not widely known. It was probably known in some larger metropolitan areas, but um, I grew up in a rural area in uh, the state of North Dakota, which borders Canada. 
Um, and so, uh, anyway, at age seven, I lost my sight. I started using Braille from the beginning. Um, I was in a school that was mainstreamed. It's not quite like today where students are staying in the schools, um, in whatever districts they're in. This was a school that uh, received students from, oh, probably about a hundred mile radius. And um, had a marvelous education, had a great uh, resource teachers that helped you know, with learning Braille. And I was encouraged with, uh, I'm amazed at the, at the things they had to do. They were putting Braille and, you know, foreign languages and uh, math and science and uh, it was just incredible. Uh, I was really encouraged by the teachers I had. I had a great uh, chemistry teacher in uh, high school um, and I, I think in general people in science are curious and they look at things as problem solving and I have always been encouraged by people. I've never really met any resistance um, and so I think that's um, yeah, I've actually yeah. known people that were blind in in other fields that received a lot more resistance than I did. And yeah. while any serious study takes effort, they had less uh, technological um, difficulties because the notations what they were uh, dealing with was you know they didn't have to deal with science notation and math notation that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, kind of people were were very good as you were. Growing up, you didn't maybe encounter too many challenges there from what, from what you're saying um, w with regards to how people work with you. But what sort of impact did the um, sight loss have in general, maybe as you were growing up or in your schooling or even even choice of career? Did it have a significant in impact or was it something that, that kind of you learned at a young age to work with? Well, it's a little both. Um, if if I were able to do exactly what I wanted to do, I would probably have gone into an experimental field of science, but uh, there's so much increasing more and more this, um, you know, um, com um, theoretical uh, science with computer uh, applications. And uh, so I chose something that's very similar to what I would have wanted to do. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Yeah, so did, assistive technology kind of play quite a big part in all of that what what technology would have been available as as you were kind of coming out of school or actually maybe even using in school or in your career at the start well i can relate to what marine was saying about technology um i was also using uh, typewriters and um, to to print yeah. some papers in in college for instance and i actually avoided courses to do that in retrospect i probably should have put things in braille and hired somebody to type it out for me um but <laughs> i used braille writers and tape recorders and uh you know i would record classes and, and it was a very tedious but an excellent way to learn um when somebody was doing derivations in in chemistry uh, physics or chemistry and i would uh and listen to recording and take notes and uh, you know doing it uh, very slowly uh, was really a great help in learning although yeah. it would, would have been nice yeah, to have more good. modern note takers and digital recorders that sort of thing yeah 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 absolutely would you say since you, you um started working with with nasa has there been any challenges particularly there related to your site loss well, I would say so. Uh, increasingly, with in the engineering department, there are a lot of tools and things that 
weren't accessible. And uh, like one company we wrote to that we felt some things could have been accessible and we didn't get any response from them at all. Um, so it has mm. um, sort of shaped, you know, to some extent what I do. I, I enjoy what I do, but, um, you know, it, I perhaps could have had a wider choice of um, ways I could have supported our branch. You know, yeah. Had some of these specialized yeah, software tools yeah, yeah. accessible. Yeah. But but things have. Yeah. I would say in general, though, the culture, and I'm sure you see the same thing, just in the last five or 10 years, seems to greatly improve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how would you say, just to kind of give us a bit of an idea here, would there be any particular things are more of a challenge? How do you deal with those challenges? Um, again, as. as through throughout your career with NASA, um, people might maybe have a little bit of a an idea in, in their mind because is such a big um, technological behemoth. Almost, it's um, it, you might it might be in our minds that you would be using to uh, assistive technology. Is that the case, or would would you would have used outside or that you would use outside of NASA as well? Well, um, I, I guess what things currently are, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty good situation. I'm, I've had a lot of learning to do this, you know, dealing with the artificial intelligence. I'm by no means an expert and I don't have training in it, but, you know, I've done a lot of background reading and, and of course using the web and searching for articles and uh, getting help from people, getting uh, references to look at. Um, you know, it's been helpful. Um, so at least with what I'm currently doing, there's not not really too much that's um, difficult. Every once in a while you find websites and forms I need to fill out that aren't quite accessible. Um, and of course, that's where COVID changed things. You know, uh, used to be I would just grab somebody a couple of offices away to click on a mouse, and now I'm having a technician remote into my computer and help me do it. So, But it, it's not it's not real frequent that that situation comes up. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I, I've just got a little bit of a, a bad line here. I'm not sure if I'm uh, hearing all of your, your answer there, Craig. Apologies yeah, I, I there. apologize. I've, I've noticed the same thing. It, it may be yeah, area here. Uh, no, continue though. I'm, I'm just yeah, so so I was just some some of it there, and maybe one of the guys can jump in as well if it's it might be my line that's a, an issue. So uh, one of the guys might jump in in a second if if. But I I just heard you mention there about um, maybe some would remote in onto your computer if need be for for support. Would you use things like um, Jaws and and kind of uh, screen screen really would as well? I, I didn't quite catch that. Yes, I use JAWS. I use um, a Braille display, and I just recently did. I've been using note takers. I just recently got an L Braille that I'm still in the process of setting up, um, and I use an iPhone as well. Great. Um, I'm just going to just come in here for a moment. This is uh, JP here, Craig. Uh, I think Judas is having some broadband issues there. I'm sure he'll be back with us very shortly. But we we did receive a question just a moment ago from someone who's listening in. And they've asked, could you could you tell us a little bit about the space camp for visually impaired students, as uh, they believe you may be involved in that project? 
yes, it's, it's a marvelous program. Um, I have spoken to students there uh, most years as they've held it. Um, it's um, uh, gives uh, people that attend the experience of um, what it's like to, sh to fly missions, like they have mock-ups of the shuttle, and I think they have updated uh, the, uh, you know, to possibly some, some more future uh, kinds of missions and things. But everything is provided in, in uh, large print and braille, and um, the workers are really dedicated with uh, working with the students. I know the regular staff at the space camp uh, loves mm -hmm. that week when, when the students are, are there because they said they, they feel that they learn so much and they appreciate working with the kids. Um, it's an organization that um, is, uh, you know, international. We, there are always students coming from uh, the UK and have been from, from Ireland, other European countries. Um, I think every year, other year there are students from Australia. Um, and they just have a marvelous organization for uh, getting information out to, you know, if it's important information regarding technology or education, um, it's a marvelous education for disseminating that knowledge. Fantastic. Is there, is there a way for people to find out more about the space camp? Um, there's a I, website perhaps. I'm sure that there is. It's, um, gosh, I'll have to send it to you. I think it's SpiVizViv. Mm -hmm. I, I can I can uh, send yeah. something to you on Excellent. that. Just great. We, we can, we can share it with our with our listener. Thanks. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That's it. Thanks for stepping in there, JP. Yeah, and sure. uh, really interesting to to hear about that as well. I, I was just wondering, um, Craig, is it quite unusual um, with NASA for for someone with sight loss to be working with NASA? Well, there are probably 25 to 30 people that are uh, visually impaired in some way. Um, mm. And, you know, of course, it's not all, you know, there are a number of us that are in engineering or science, but there are people that do a lot of support roles. There's, there are people that uh, we had someone who I think retired recently. She was partially sighted that, that was, works as a librarian. We had, had uh, people that do um, secretarial work, people that have done um, work with small businesses, uh, small business contracts. Um, just uh, human yeah. resources. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, people that are involved in in purchasing. Uh, That's actually brilliant to hear. Areas. Just the, the variety of different roles there as well, um, because I, I yeah. think sometimes it can seem like there are, even though there's a desire for everything to be accessible, that it can feel like maybe there are some some roles or some organisations where just somebody might have the impression that well that that might be a ceiling on it almost but it's nice to to hear that there's so many with nasa yes and, and it's nice that you know that there are so many different roles that accommodate people with mm. all kinds of interests yeah absolutely absolutely we just had another question in there just um somebody who's asking what was the most exciting project you've worked on craig well um this is two answers. I, I guess I can't think of any one project, but some of the work I did in chemistry really enjoy, I enjoyed, and I'm really enjoying now some of the work. Mm. While I'm not really doing the work, it's just some of the stuff, the artificial intelligence that people are developing is so interesting. Yeah. And there's so much to learn from that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess that is such a broad 
thing as well that it's always going to be quite quite interesting to see the different applications that you're you're able to kind of get from the developments in in AI as well. Yes, and I, I, I think that's where I, I you know I think that it's maybe leading to one of the questions you sent. I think there's a lot of application for AI in the future for possibly statistics technology. I, I can imagine yeah. if there are certain kinds of graphs or charts that. Um, you know, ideally you want things very precisely programmed, but sometimes I think artificial intelligence could could fill in some gaps that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, while it might not be perfect, would could fill in some gaps that uh, you know, like so yeah. we don't have right now. It's actually really good just to get that perspective as well, because obviously in your role in an organization which is right at the cutting edge of technological development, it gives you a certain kind of perspective on these things and what what sort of direction can you imagine assistive technology going in the next few years or or even kind of in a more aspirational way what would you like to see it um what direction would you like to see it going well i think just with better pattern recognition and, and artificial intelligence i think uh, some of the you know if somebody has uh, different kinds of charts they're presenting um you know, they're very graphical or very picturesque. I would think that rendering uh, that into a into perhaps a text or yeah. could could really be helpful. Um, there's, you know, I think it's kind of an infancy, but I know there's a lot of work with uh, trying to develop things in a more text, uh, accessing information in a textual way. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it'd be be interesting to see some of those developments. It's been um, really good to to just chat to you and just to get a little bit of a an insight into your work with with NASA as well, Craig, and uh, a little bit of your your background there as well. Appreciate you talking to us today about those things. Thank you. And uh, we hope to have you back on the show maybe at some point as well. It'd be nice to, to talk to you again, catch up to you, with you again at, at, at some point. So thank you very much for, for joining us on the show this week. Uh, that was Craig Moore from NASA. And uh, we'll, we'll hold out hope that maybe our listenership will include someone on the International Space Station at some point. Craig, maybe you can put in a good word for us at some point. I think I think he's disappeared. Very good. So so that was Craig Moore from uh, NASA, and uh, good to chat to him there. Just remember, if you if you want to listen back to that interview, you can do that on YouTube or on any of the major podcast platforms as well. And you'll have noticed that uh, on YouTube, particularly, a lot of the the live events now have been broken down into different segments. So you'll be able to uh, search for those individual segments or or uh, just listen to uh, some of the individual segments of our shows as well. Very good. So how do you follow a NASA technician? Well, we're going to move on with the show and we're going to go to our tech help section this week. And Daniel, you're going to have a lot to live up to here. But this week we have a query about what to do when two different screen readers are talking at the same time. Daniel, what advice could you give on that one? Hi Jude, thanks very much. Got a very hard follow up on Craig's insight there. Um, my gosh, what a job he has! Um, yeah. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just love to be there, even just in the room, and seeing how all that uh, comes together? But uh, it's lovely hearing from Craig, and thanks very much for that. Um, yes, so on to today's tech help. Um, we've got 
a question in there, as you said, somebody's got two screen readers installed on their computer. Um, let's say in this example, we have NVDA going and we have JAWS going. And you might have a preference for one over the other, but um, perhaps after installing um, both of those screen reading softwares, that the two of them come in at the one time just yeah. after wind Windows starts up. Can be a little bit disorientating or a little bit of uh, a nuisance. So if you wanted to uh, I suppose let's say take NVDA first of all. If you wanted to stop that um, loading automatically with Windows after after it after your computer switches on, um, you can use the insert an N key to bring up the NVDA panel, and from there you navigate to preferences and into the settings and in the general category, which should be the first one you land on. And there are two checkboxes in there. Uh, one of them is to uncheck um, the option to start NVDA during the Windows login. So that, uh, that comes up there before you maybe put in your password to gain access to Windows. Or alternatively, you can uncheck um, the start NVDA after sign in, or maybe you want to disable both of those. And at that point then to exit out of NVDA, you use your insert and Q key followed by enter, and that shuts down the NVDA platform. Now, if it's JAWS, you want to um, start stop automatically starting up. Yeah. Bit of a tongue twister that one. Um, <laughs> you use the insert and J uh, key command, and that brings brings you to your options and into the basics. And in there, you're going to have an automatically start JAWS button. And uh, when you open that button, uh, you're presented with an options to uncheck again check boxes. Uh, you uncheck the start JAWS at Windows login screen. And another interesting option that JAWS gives you here is if there's multiple users on, on your computer, let's say, right, you're sharing it with somebody else in the family or, or a flatmate or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you can select JAWS to start after login for specific uh, specific users. So you can pick them over a list of a user, you know, if there's two or three oh, user okay. accounts on the Windows. Yeah. So that's a handy one to know. And also maybe somebody is using the Windows narrator, probably the poor relation of the tree. Um, your your yeah. start and stop uh, narrator keystroke is control and Windows key and enter together. And that will start it. And obviously the same again will stop Windows narrator from operating too. So there's the um, the three options available for you if you mm -hmm. want to uh, stop those or start those accordingly. Yeah, brilliant. So just can can you just um, repeat again for us just the keystrokes to get into the options for NVDA and then the keystroke to get into the options for JAWS? Yeah, so um, insert an N, think of insert N for NVDA and insert an J for JAWS. Uh, that, that will get you into those uh, options menu from there. Brilliant. Really helpful. Thank you very much for taking us through that, Daniel. And uh, yep. yeah, I, I can imagine that if somebody was having that problem, that would be such a frustrating thing to have the two voices coming on. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I could imagine everything being announced twice and you're oh, head melt, yeah, yeah. head melt. So that's, a, that's a, little, a little way around that. Hopefully it has helped out somebody uh, who might be in that little bit of a predicament at the moment. Yeah. Hopefully prevent a few migraines anyway. Thanks very yeah. much for that, Daniel. You're more than very welcome. Good. Right. So now we're going to move on with, with uh, our um, quick tips for this week. And uh, JP, we have more tips in relation to voiceover and talkback. That's right, that's right. we do indeed, Jude. Uh, so this for, for this week, I thought we'd go through some of the different reading gestures that we can use with voiceover on an iPhone or on an iPad and with talkback. 
on an Android device, so depending on whatever your preference might be. Yeah. Uh, so, so these would be gestures that we could use, for example, when we want to know which apps uh, that we have on our home screen on the on our phone or on our tablet device, uh, if we want to read content on an app or, or in, or maybe read content on a website that we're browsing. So, so as I mentioned a few weeks ago, with both VoiceOver and with TalkBack, we can swipe left or, or right with one finger to read the previous or next item. And another option is to use what's called Explore by Touch, where we move one finger around the screen to hear which items are on it. Uh, but as it happens, that these are actually pretty much the only reading gestures that VoiceOver and TalkBack have in common, because the rest of them are actually very different. Um, yeah. So to start off with VoiceOver, uh, we can use a two-finger swipe up to read all content on the page, or we can use two, a two-finger swipe down to start reading continuously from one point onwards. So this might be a useful gesture if, like for example, you want to read an article on a web, web page that we've come across, but without having to read some of the, maybe the menu items that appear on the very top of the web page. Um, and also with VoiceOver, what we can do is we can tap the screen with two fingers to both resume, pause rather, and resume reading. So start, uh, pause and, and uh, resume reading with a two uh, finger uh, tap of the screen. So these are some of the reading gestures we can use with VoiceOver. But as I mentioned, the reading gestures with TalkBack are actually a little bit different. And for starters, to start reading from the top of the page, I would talk back or to start reading continuously from one point onwards. What we need to do is we need to uh, use what's called the global context menu. And to open the global context menu, what we need to do is swipe down the screen with one finger and then immediately to the right. So it's all one movement down and then to the right. It's almost like you were drawing like an L shape on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then when we do this, a menu appears, the global context menu, and we can swipe right or left, and we can explore this menu. And we can find two options here in the context, uh, global context menu. One is read from top, and another is read from next item. So depending on which one we want, uh, we can double tap the screen at one finger and choose that to read from the top of the page downwards or read from an item downwards. And finally, to stop talkback reading, we can tap the screen with uh, one finger. Uh, so it's a one finger tap of the screen to stop uh, talkback screen reader on your Android device. So it's a quick uh, run through some of the different reading gestures that we can use with talkback. Sorry, beg your pardon, with, with voiceover rather on an iPhone or with talkback on an Android device. And most of them actually, as we can see, are actually quite different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, to, good to get the um, clarity as well of, of which ones um, you, you can kind of uh, yeah. use on both devices. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Just have that, that clarity. Really helpful. Thank you very much for that, JP. Nice one. Okay, very good. And I, I think just before we finish, um, we have a bit of information for you on the uh, Space Camp for Visually Impaired Students as mentioned earlier. Daniel, you have that. Yeah. Um... Uh, just just to follow up on on uh, Craig, he was uh, telling us there that some camps are are led in the United States their space camp. So the the website for anybody that might be interested in following up and learning a little bit more about that is is scivis dot org. So that's scivis dot org. So if anybody is interested, maybe find out a little bit more about that. That's their uh, website where they have all the information there. And um, from looking at it, it seems to be quite an accessible website too. So well done, guys, on that one. Uh, brilliant. Very good. And thanks for uh, coming back to us with that information as well, Daniel. So a really interesting show uh, today. But uh, of course, we've got 
more to come in the coming weeks. We'll we'll talk about that in just a second, what's coming up in future weeks. But just a reminder again that uh, if you want a bit more of a hand with uh, any technology, really, you can get support from the labs team from nine to five, Monday to Friday on 1850 92 30 60. That's 1850 92 30 60. Or you can email labs at ncbi.ie or you can uh, contact NCBI services on 1850 334353. That's 1850 334353. Or you can email info at ncbi.ie. And if you'd like to make a donation to support our services, you can visit donate.ncbi.ie. And maybe you'd even like to sponsor one of our live events. Well, you can do that as well by contacting labs at ncbi.ie and uh, that can help to keep our live events going. Just imagine you could have your name associated with with NASA even in a, in a, a live event like today, for example. So uh, if you want to do that, just get in touch at labs at ncbi.ie. So just before we go, uh, just a reminder of what we'll be talking about in future live events. We're going to be talking to Sky about their accessibility features. And as we mentioned last week, it'll uh, that'll be quite an interesting discussion. So please do tune in to that. You'll get the notification on that when uh, the uh, newsletter is sent out on uh, the, the uh, Sky one and their accessibility features that'll be mentioned in the newsletter. We're going to also be looking at the new show and tell feature and Alexa as well. We'll be doing that in the next few weeks too. A really useful feature there uh, that that will be good to just test out and just uh, talk about as well on on our live event. Another thing that we really want to tell you about actually in the in the coming weeks as well. The new NCBI website is up and running and actually there's uh, an awful lot of new features in the the uh, new NCBI website. So we think we're, you're going to be very happy with some of the additional features that are available there. Fully accessible website, of course, and uh, we're going to be just talking about some of those extra features, some of the the new elements that are involved in that website. In uh, probably one of the next two weeks, we'll be we'll be talking about our new NCBI website. So quite a lot coming up in the in the coming weeks. Just a reminder that our next show is next Tuesday, so that's March 9th, and that's the usual time of 2.30 p.m. And if you want to stay up to date with what's happening on our live events, as well as plenty more, you can subscribe to our newsletter on our website or you can email us at labs at ncbi.ie if you'd like to do that. It's very useful to be able to get a lot of the uh, technical information is on the, the uh, technology newsletter, some really interesting news as well, but also information on upcoming live events. Uh, so do sign up to, to our technology newsletter and uh, stay informed of what's happening. So all that's left for me to do today is to thank our, our panel today. Really good to talk to Maureen Lanigan and to Craig Moore as well. And of course, thanks to everyone listening in as well. And from me, Jude Marr, and from JP Corcoran, Daniel Dunn and Sean Dorn, goodbye for now. And we look forward to having you all back with us next week for another NCBI Labs live event.